Well, good morning. Uh, today, I'd like to begin with a verse that's kind of a sobering verse. It might even be considered to be a scary verse. Uh, after Jesus had presented his disciples with what has been called the Lord's Prayer, he said these words in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. He said, for if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Does this really mean what it looks like it means? If we do not forgive other people, God will not forgive us? Of course, earlier in the Lord's Prayer, you talked about the fact that we need to pray along the lines of forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But this is a very sobering verse. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, had this to say, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That God has forgiven us based on our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and so we're to expect, we're expected to forgive other people. But what happens when we're either unwilling to do so or unable to do so? Today, what I hope we walk away with is that forgiven people forgive people, or they forgive others. But what happens if we're not able to? Well, today we continue our series titled Forgive and Forget. First week of the series, we talked about the fact that God has forgiven us if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that he's forgiven us past, present, and future, which is why this part of the Lord's prayer, what he says right afterwards is, is hard to understand when it says God won't forgive us. Last week, we talked about the fact that we can forgive ourselves because God has forgiven us, and today I want to talk about the importance of forgiving other people. And I'll answer the question when we get toward the end of the talk. But first, I'd like to begin with a story I read several years ago. Writer and theologian Charles Ryrie in his book, So Great Salvation, tells a, a story about a time when he was in seminary. He was working with underprivileged middle, eight, middle school kids and high school kids at a YMCA in downtown, and every week or so, if the weather was really nice, he would take these kids, about 40 or 50 of them, and he'd take them to this camp, a camp that was located outside the city limits. And every week he would do this. They would go to the camp, they'd have a nice cookout or a barbecue, they'd play games and that type of thing, and then he'd, he'd drive them back. But on some special occasions, very special occasions, he allowed some of the kids to actually spend the night at the camp. These were usually kids that fulfilled certain requirements in his Bible clubs. But it was a very special thing to be invited to spend the night at the camp. Well, it was on one of these occasions, one night, that he was awakened in the middle of the night. He heard some noise, it woke him up, he got dressed, and he went out, and, and to his shock, he saw that some of the leaders, some of the ones that he trusted the most, had snuck out of their cabins, they had grabbed one of the boats, and they were out in the middle of the lake. Not only was this against every rule in the book, but it was incredibly dangerous, and he just couldn't believe that they had done this. Suddenly, the kids saw him, and, and they quickly rowed to shore, and, and like puppies with their tails between their legs, they made their way back to their cabins, and they wondered what was going to happen to them. What kind of punishment would they receive? 
Ryrie describes that for him sleep was impossible that night because that night before all this happened, his talk had been about forgiving other people, specifically that we need to forgive one another just as God in Christ or by virtue of our faith in Christ has forgiven us. A number of thoughts came to his mind as he began to consider this idea, I should forgive these kids. First of all, he just thought, well, they don't, they don't, if I don't give them the punishment that they deserve, they won't be impressed with the seriousness of what they've done. And he thought, I have a responsibility to the why here to enforce the rules. But the more he prayed about it, the more he struggled with it, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven me. He prayed to God, but Lord, I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. But then he thought in his mind, yeah, but I guess I don't deserve it either. He thought, well, I have to enforce the rules. But then he realized, you know, God doesn't always enforce the rules with him. He thought, well, if if I forgive them, the kids are going to think I'm weak. They'll take advantage of me. But then he realized, well, he didn't think God was weak for forgiving him. And so he thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll make them promise me that they'll never do anything like this again, make some kind of a commitment. But then he realized, well, that's not what Christ expects of us. We just come to him by faith and we receive forgiveness as a free gift. The phrase kept coming to his mind, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so that next morning, he got the kids together and he said, you know, what you did last night was really a terrible thing. You, you could have suffered harm yourselves and, and your families would have been impacted and I, I would have been impacted and the why would have been impacted. But I want you to realize that I forgive you unconditionally and completely. One of the kids spoke up and he said, you're kidding. You know, what's the catch Ryrie said, there's no catch. And then he explained to them what had happened the night before, how he had struggled, how he had wrestled with God about this idea of forgiveness and how he had awakened the next morning and realized what I need to do is just forgive these guys. After this incident happened, Ryrie said, a remarkable change took place in the uh, lives of these kids. He said, as long as he knew them after this had happened, they became an example of of goodness and helpfulness and usefulness. They never presumed on his grace or kindness. Ryrie wrote about the incident, grace is unmerited favor. It is undeserved on the part of the recipient. It is unearned and unearnable. Those kids had no claim on my grace. They were in a state of total demerit, and grace is not cheap. Grace is expensive. It is free to the recipient, but costly to the donor. My forgiveness that night cost the kids nothing. It cost me a lot of agonizing and soul-searching, which is nothing in comparison with what grace cost our Lord. I think we all struggle at times to forgive other people, and it's for the same reasons that Ryrie struggled. He thought, you know, they don't deserve forgiveness, and that's how we feel sometimes. This person does not deserve forgiveness. Or we think, well, they need to pay the price for what they've done wrong, or they won't learn. Or we think, if I take advantage of them, you know, they'll take, or if I forgive them, they'll take advantage of me. Or they might think I'm weak. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the fact it's our responsibility as Christians to forgive others 
because we are forgiven people. Jesus paid a tremendous cost. It cost him so much, and yet forgiveness is for us a free gift when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And forgiving others is the path to peace. And I don't mean just peace with the other person, but peace within our own hearts and our own lives. The bottom line, though, is forgiven people forgive others. Now, before I launch into the subject, though, I need to clarify what forgiveness is not. I suspect that some of you are struggling with this idea. You're thinking of someone that I'm asking you to forgive, and you say, I do not want to forgive that person. <clears throat> and part of the reason I think we struggle with forgiveness is that we do not understand what forgiveness is not. Let me mention a few things that forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness does not mean our anger will magically disappear. Over the years, I've had a lot of people that came up to me and, and they said something to the effect, every time I think about what this person did to me, I get, I get so angry and yet I think I've forgiven them. So why am I still angry? And I'd suggest that some things should always make us angry. Forgiveness is not about how you feel. Forgiveness is about releasing a person of the debt that they owe you because of what they did to you. Also, forgiveness does not mean forfeiting legal remedies. When I was mugged and stabbed in Columbus, Ohio, I forgave the guys who attacked me. But I was still glad when justice was served. It just seemed appropriate, and sometimes that's the case. That even though we can forgive someone from our heart, it's an appropriate thing that justice be served. The difference is that we're not seeking revenge, we're seeking justice. That's the thing that makes the difference in whether or not it's really forgiveness or not. Third, forgiveness does not mean you have to befriend the person who hurts you. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things entirely. And sometimes people think, if I forgive this person, I suddenly need to be a friend to this person, I need to hang around this person, or else I haven't forgiven them. No, that's not the case. Forgiveness, again, is about releasing the debt that they owe you. It is not about hanging out with them. Now, oftentimes, forgiveness paves the way for reconciliation, but not always. And then finally, forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is about looking squarely at what the person did to you, recognizing the severity of what they did to you, and then choosing to release them of the debt that they owe you. It takes a lot of strength and courage to do that. In the Old Testament, there's a main word that's used for forgive, the Hebrew word nesa. It means to lift up, to bear, or to carry. According to the Holman Treasury of Key Bible words, forgiveness means to carry, to bear away, or lift up the faults, sins, and failures of others, to consider them guilty but forgiven. It's really about releasing the burden that they are carrying because of what they did to you. A good picture of what this is like is in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. Once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people. But on this particular day, there were two goats that were involved. A scholar by the name of C.L. Feinberg explains, the high priest killed one of the goats as a sin offering for the nation. Then he confessed the sins of the nation over the live goat as he placed his hands on its head. 
Finally, he sent the live goat called the scapegoat into the wilderness. Symbolically, it carried away the sins of the people. That's what we're talking about with forgiveness. Taking the burden off their shoulders and carrying it away. And oftentimes, again, there's a cost involved many times to us. But it's this idea that I talked about briefly last week where God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed my, your transgressions from you. Now, in the New Testament, there are a couple main words that are translated forgive in our English Bibles. One of the words means to release a debt that is owed. Again, when someone sins against us, it's kind of like they owe us a debt. And this is why certain versions of the Bible translate the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When someone sins against us, a debt is created. And when you forgive, you're saying, I release you of the debt that you owe. A second word that's often translated forgiveness in our Bibles is a word that means to extend grace. Grace, as you know, is extending kindness to the undeserving. It's what Charles Ryrie did with these boys. They deserved a certain punishment, but he chose to extend grace even though they did not deserve it. And ultimately, of course, we extend grace to other people because our God has extended grace to us. Forgiven people forgive others. Now, this morning in the time that remains... I'd like to look at a story that's found in Matthew chapter 18 that illustrates the importance of forgiving other people and it ties in exactly with what Jesus said after he gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Let me first set the context for the story. In the verses that immediately precede the ones we're going to be reading about in a minute, Jesus had told his disciples that if someone wrongs you, you need to go to that person. And you need to talk with that person. And if they won't listen to you, you're to bring someone else along just to confirm the fact that an offense has taken place. And then Jesus said, if they don't listen to both of you, then you can bring the matter actually before the, the entire church. All of it was about helping a person see the wrong they've committed and then creating a context where reconciliation could take place. But after Jesus said this, it raised a question in Peter's mind. The question's found in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Now let's stop here for a moment. <clears throat> Can you imagine forgiving somebody 490 times? What Jesus said here, you know, during the time of Christ, the rabbis taught that it was appropriate to forgive someone three times, but only three times. And I think it's because the idea was they'll take advantage of, of your grace, your, your kindness. And so you forgive them three times. And so Peter raised this question. I think he knew in his mind that Jesus's standard would be higher. And so he said, how, how many times should we forgive someone who wrongs us? Up to seven times? I mean, Peter was being incredibly generous. Jesus responded, no, 70 times seven. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't being literal here. He wasn't saying, well, you need to keep track. And, and when they've uh, committed 490 sins against you, then you're kind of done. And then you don't have to forgive them anymore. Uh, many of you know that a lot of the numbers in the Bible have biblical significance. 
They mean something. And the number seven is one of those numbers. The number seven is a divine number. It's the number of God, in a sense. The number six is the number of humanity, but the number seven is God's number. In addition, it's the number of completion. Jesus completed his creative work, and then he rested on the seventh day, and he said it was good. And so it's the divine number, and it's the number of completion. And so what Jesus was telling them is you need to forgive as God forgives, and you need to forgive completely. Jesus then illustrated what he said with a story, with a parable. Beginning in verse 23, Jesus said, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay him back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the slave fell down, face down, before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. That is a very sobering sentence so my heavenly Father will also do to you if you, if each of you, does not forgive his brother from the heart. Now, this is where this ties in with what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Now, let's first look at the details of the story, and then I want to explain what I think it's referring to. In this story, there was a king who had a slave who apparently either managed his money or this was perhaps a loan that he had given to the slave, but it was a large amount of money and it was time to settle accounts. The man was brought before the king and he owed 10,000 talents. Now understand that in Bible times, this amount of money would have been considered an insane amount of debt. This story would have been considered so unbelievable, so incredible, it would have been on the the level of a fairy tale. I mean, Jesus is telling a story of something that would just never happen. How could someone possibly owe all this money? Dr. B.M. Newman writes about this. Both the sum, 10,000, and the monetary unit, the talent, are significant. For in the ancient Near East, 10,000 was the highest number used in calculating, and the talent was the largest currency unit of that time. 
In other words, the amount is intended to stagger the imagination. It is the highest sum imaginable to be contrasted with the trifling amount of debt in verse 28. Understand that this was an amount of debt that could never be paid back. And I want you to understand something about this story. Jesus is saying this is what God does for us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the sins that we commit, we think, well, I'm not much of a sinner, but we sin all the time and in so many different ways. We sin in our thoughts, we, think, we sin in our words, we sin in our deeds. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. So how many times do we sin in a day? We might look at this story and say, well, that's just ridiculous to think that someone could, could have a debt so high, but you consider the debt that you owe, the debt that I owe, the sins we commit. You realize that if you took a conservative number and thought for a moment, well, if I sin just 20 times a day, that in the course of a year, it'd be about 7,500 times. In the course of 10 years, it's about 75,000 times. And if you live to be about 70 or 80, it's over half a million times. And you realize we're sinning against God all the time. That if God kept a record, who could stand is what was written in the Old Testament. If God kept a record of everything we've done wrong, the, just the number of sins we've committed, this is, a, this is an illustration of our debt before our God. A scholar by the name of Dr. John Nolan went so far as to say 10,000 talents would pay for something like 200,000 man years of labor. It was just an insane amount that this king was owned or owed here. And, and even if we just decided that the amount was like 12 to 15 million dollars, you realize that this guy's willingness to try to pay it back was ridiculous. It'd be, it'd be like the equivalent of someone earning minimum wage trying to pay back 12 million dollars. It's something you couldn't do. And so when the king said, you owe me this money, I'm going to have to sell you and your wife and your kids and all you have into slavery, this guy fell down on his knees. Now realize this, that in the culture of the day, this is kind of what would happen if you had a debt. You, you could be actually literally sold into slavery. But realize even if this guy were sold into slavery and everything he had was sold, it wouldn't even begin to, to put a dent in the debt that he owed. And so he asked, please give me some more time. And the master responded in verse 27. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. What is amazing to me about what this king did in this story is that he didn't just release the guy in order to go try and find a way to pay it back. He released the guy of the entire debt he said, I remove it completely from you. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Someone who had owed 12, 15 million dollars and suddenly it's like, I forgive you the entire debt. He would have been so set free. It's exactly, by the way, I think how many times people feel when they first put their trust in Christ and they realize that all of their sins are forgiven and they're clean before God. It's just this wonderful, wonderful experience that we have. But it's what the slave did next that's at the heart of this story. In verse 28 we read, but that slave went out 
and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay back what you owe. Now, a hundred denarii was the equivalent of about four months' wages for a common laborer. I would calculate it's between twelve dollars and $15,000 that he was owed. It's a, it's a sizable amount, but not in comparison with twelve dollars to $15 million. It was a small, trifling amount of debt. And the text indicates he grabs the guy by the neck and drags him into prison. When the other slaves of the king saw what happened, they were, it says, deeply distressed because they could see just the hypocrisy. It was just as clear as day. You've been forgiven this amazing amount of debt and then you don't have compassion on this person who owes you so little. And so we pick up the story in verse 32. Then after he had summoned him, the king, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything back that was owed. And then Jesus applied it. And it's again very sobering. I hope that we take this with the intent that Jesus had. It's a statement that should sober us. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Notice, by the way, that the forgiveness is taking place in the heart. We are to forgive one another deeply and from the heart. Otherwise, we read here, God won't forgive us. And that's, of course, again, what Jesus said after the Lord's Prayer. So what does it mean? Well, some have suggested that this means that we could lose our salvation, that God will take away our salvation from us. This is not the case. It's very clear from other verses throughout the New Testament that our standing with God is based upon our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it, and that when we put our trust in Christ, we are forgiven past, present, and future. God does not take back the gifts he's given to us. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, we are, you are given eternal life. Eternal life is not something that God just gives you and then he takes back that eternal life. No, he's given us eternal life. Wearsby explains it this way. Keep in mind that this has nothing to do with salvation. It's a matter of family forgiveness between siblings in Christ, not between God and the sinner. So don't read eternal judgment into verse 34. God will certainly deal with a believer who harbors an unforgiving spirit, which is really the heart of the matter. The point is that God will deal with a believer who has an unforgiving spirit. But again, it's not about losing our salvation. We do not earn eternal life by the things we do, and we do not lose eternal life by the things we do or we don't do. God does not take back his gifts. So maybe it means that we lose rewards in heaven. Could it mean that a person who is unforgiving will get to heaven and find out that any rewards he or she would have received are going to be removed? No, I think the answer to that is again no. Uh, Jesus would have answered this or told this story very differently if this were about rewards. This is not the context of what he's talking about. It's not about rewards. 
Third, some have suggested that maybe the people that Jesus is talking about here are not really believers, that they just appear to be believers. Wearsby wrote about this, we reveal the true condition of our hearts by the way we treat others. In other words, a person who is unable to forgive or unwilling to forgive demonstrates by that unforgiveness that they were never really a Christian in the first place. And that is possible. Although I do not think that that's the, the interpretation here because he talks about forgiving one another and he's talking to his disciples Although I think there is a warning here because I think we should examine ourselves and wonder if we have the inability to forgive someone else, do we really understand the gospel ourselves? Have we put our trust in Christ? So if it doesn't mean these things, what does it mean? If it's not about losing your salvation or if it's not about rewards or if it's not about misdiagnosing whether or not we're a Christian or not, what is it? I think this is what it means. We will suffer in this life because of our unwillingness to forgive. Many people don't understand that with the parables of Jesus that many times we shouldn't kind of pick apart every aspect and wonder what is this referring to and what is this referring to. Most of the parables that Jesus taught have one main point. And the point that I think Jesus is making here is that it'll be painful for a believer who refuses to forgive other people. Now you say, well, <clears throat> well, how will we suffer in this life because of our unwillingness to forgive? Well, I think in, in a few ways. Number one is that I think God will discipline us. That God will get our attention. God will humble us in various ways. We know from the book of Hebrews and other places that God disciplines those he loves. That God has ways of teaching us the lessons that we need to learn. And so... Part of the pain that maybe is described in this parable is just the discipline of God upon our lives. There's a second way, though, that I think that, that we will suffer in this life if we don't forgive others, and that is that I think we'll have trouble experiencing God's forgiveness of us. It's not that we won't be forgiven in an eternal sense. I think positionally we'll be forgiven, but practically we'll have the inability to recognize our own forgiveness. There is a connection between our ability to forgive others and a recognition of our own forgiveness. Let me illustrate this. Over the years, <clears throat> I've had a number of people who have come up to me and they said, I really cannot forgive this person. <clears throat> you know, I've tried and, and, and they say sometimes I've forgiven them before but then it keeps coming back again and I just, just have trouble forgiving the person. In almost every occasion where that happens, I've asked the person, let me ask you a question. Is there some sin that you're committing or something that you have done where you feel like God hasn't forgiven you? And in, I believe, 100% of the cases, there was something there. Every single one of them was struggling to believe that God had forgiven them. And at that point, I would talk with them about the power of the gospel and how Jesus paid for our sins, past, present, and future. And that if we acknowledge our sin, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when they came to this place where they believed once again that they were forgiven, suddenly their anger to the other person just evaporated. 
And often this is the case, and it goes both ways. I think if we do not forgive someone else, it'll be an in, uh, impossible for us to feel God's forgiveness of us because it's not in our own heart toward the other person. And at the same time, if we don't believe we're forgiven, I think we'll have trouble then from that place forgiving other people. And so maybe we just need to examine our lives in relation to the gospel. But there's a third way in which I think that we might suffer in this life because of this. It could be the discipline of God. It could be that we won't feel God's forgiveness. We'll feel the weight of our sin upon us. But a third way is I think sometimes we'll experience the consequences of our sin in this life. What I mean by this is that when we sin, we're forgiven by God, but sometimes there are earthly consequences to the things we've done wrong. And I think sometimes God intervenes and actually protects us from those earthly consequences. Let me give you an example. Imagine, for example, a Christian who maybe stole against his employer or maybe a Christian that was arrested for selling drugs. And this is a person that I believe if they really put their trust in Christ, they are forgiven of their sin. But they've been arrested. And they're going to stand before a judge. And I've had people, I've talked to people that were in this exact position many times. And they've come up to me and they said, please pray that the judge would have mercy on me. Please pray that the, the, the judge would not send me to prison. Please pl pray in a sense that I will not experience the physical consequences for the things I've done wrong. Because oftentimes both are true. You remember how David sinned against God by committing adultery and then committing murder. He, he murdered Bathsheba's husband. Do you remember what happened after that? A prophet named Nathan came to David and he said, he announced these words, your sins are forgiven. But then he said, but because of what you've done, the baby will die. Because of what you've done, nations will blaspheme. And you realize sometimes there are physical consequences to the things we do wrong. But I believe that sometimes God removes those. And I think we get an example of this. It's a little different, but an example of this in 1 Peter 3, where husbands are told, you need to love your wife and live with your wife in an understanding way. Because Peter said, if you don't do that, your, your prayers will be hinder, hindered. And I think what's happening here, if you're hard with your wife, if your wife appeals to you, but you're really strong and hard against her and you don't listen to her, and then you have a need and you go up and you pray to God and you say, oh God, please have mercy on me and please listen to my prayer. God says, yeah, right. I see how you're treating your wife. I'm not gonna grant you that request you have. I'm not gonna allow you to get that raise. I'm not gonna prosper you over here. I'm not gonna bless your life in this way. And I think this is the way in which oftentimes God reacts to us when we are unwilling to forgive other people. Again, as Wearsby quoted, God will certainly deal with a believer who harbors an unforgiving spirit. I think that's the heart of the matter. The bottom line is that forgiven people forgive others. Now, we all sin and a lot and we sin constantly. And I'm so thankful that through Christ, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And this requires me to forgive other people. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. The first one is this. Is there someone in your life that you are unwilling to forgive? And, and would you ask God to give you the willingness to forgive that person? 
to, to just somehow find it within your heart. Sometimes I think we need God's grace to do this. Second, are you, are you willing to even search out and believe the grace of God in your own life? Because again, I think there's a connection between the two. Now, I know that you'll look at someone who's wronged you and say that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven or maybe that person is, is not really sorry for what they've done. They've done. But I close again with what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and verse 25. And it should be a challenge for us to forgive other people. And sometimes this even means perhaps phoning the person and it, it, just acknowledging, I forgive you for what you have done and just releasing the person of the burden. Because again, I think it, it releases us, as I talked about last week. When we forgive, a prisoner is released and that prisoner many times is us. But again, Jesus said in Matthew 18 and verse 35, so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of us does not forgive his brother from the heart. What we really need is a heart change toward other people. And that's something God can do in the heart of a believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we do not deserve your kindness, your forgiveness. We acknowledge that we sin against you all the time in our words and our thoughts and in our deeds, oh Lord, we just sin so much and yet you've forgiven us. Every sin we commit is an affront to your holiness and yet you've said, I forgive you. And, and you really are like this king who said, I just release you of that, that 10,000 talents. I just let it go. I love the fact that you do that. But we ask you, Lord, to give us the grace to extend that same kind of forgiveness toward other people, Lord. Many people have wronged us Help us, O Lord, to forgive even as you've forgiven us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.